Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 134, and I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, my, I have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello, everybody. Plenty to get through this week. Some new devices to talk about. A couple of uh, reader questions and some recapping of topics that Steve's been writing about on the website, including one of our ever-popular comparisons. <laughs> ever-controversial comparisons. That is. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also uh, just had uh, to trail this. Uh, we're picking up a... Uh, review devices tomorrow, hopefully a 640 and a 640XL from Microsoft. Um, but we'll, we'll see what we come away with from an event. It's happening in London tomorrow lunchtime, so do watch out on Twitter for any coverage of that. And I'll, I'll try to take some photos as well. I think, Rafe, you're coming along as well briefly. Yes, and we should be able to I think, talk about it in the next podcast. These events are always interesting because it gives uh, Microsoft a chance to talk about the positioning of the devices in the specific UK market, which often gives you a little bit more insight than the, the launch event. Uh, but also, of course, uh, Steve will no doubt be getting his teeth into the uh, the 640. I think it's going to be one of those devices that uh, turns out to be a bit of a winner based on what I've seen of it so far. It just feels to me like a, a very good value device, as we've sort of commented in the podcast, kind of a step up over the 630, you know, correcting some of the mistakes or not so much the mistakes, it's just things move on, I guess. Um, but from the reaction we've had in some of the comments and the tweets that I've seen going through, I think that's going to be a very popular, if we can call it, upper end of the load here um i guess so yes look forward to hearing more about that specifically with regard to the uk market some interesting bits i'm expecting to hear about such as the uh, wi-fi calling on ee not particularly unique but uh interesting that that kind of integration is uh, happening on windows phone yeah absolutely um and uh the, the 640, oh, yes, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I did get uh, into a Twitter debate earlier with a few people saying uh, I was bemoaning the number of the sheer number of Android 5-inch touchscreen slabs in the mid-tier and they're just all kind of anonymous and kind of the same. And people say, well, hang on a minute, Microsoft is shoving out an inordinate number, number of Lumias. And they're, they're kind of correct, but uh, half of these reissues have been, as you say, to do with actually fixing constraints to do with the amount of RAM and the amount of the free disk space, etc., etc. And I think the current um, range of devices, the 535, the 640 and the 640XL, they should see, I think, Microsoft through it, certainly the next nine months or so, and then just, just a question of which flagship we get in the autumn. It, indeed. I mean, it is kind of the nature of this part of the market that you get devices issued very quickly as kind of component prices change, so there might be a bit of a step up on some of the specs. I, I think also, to be honest, though, that Microsoft is just as guilty as any other manufacturer doing this. They've kind of been forced into it by so much emphasis being put on price and value. But I would say that the contrast here, of course, is that there are a lot more Android devices. And so when you actually look at the number of Windows phone devices versus Android devices, it, inevitably the Microsoft ones kind of stand out a bit more because they're Windows phone and therefore there aren't a hundred different copies of them from a hundred different manufacturers. Uh, it kind of goes back to the argument that we had way back when Nokia switched to Windows phone one of the things that was said was they would be able to differentiate themselves from the competition. And I think that argument still applies. You know, in hindsight, perhaps it wasn't as important as um, I and I think other people thought it would be. But at the same time, when you talk about mid-tier devices, you will hear people talking about the Lumia range and then 
kind of something like the Motorola Julia, maybe a couple of other Android devices, and, and the rest of the manufacturers, you know, don't get a look in or just get lumped into a, a generic category. I think it's kind of, kind of interesting to think about, you know, how those devices get marketed, how they get positioned, how they end up in shop shelves. Actually, in, in one sense, it's easier for Microsoft to have a more consistent message because there aren't very many Windows phone manufacturers. I mean, to all intents and purposes, uh, Microsoft is the only one in, in most markets, and some of the third and fourth tier manufacturers that we've talked about are available in some markets but we have yet if we're honest to see them in any really significant numbers with the exception of a few markets like maybe india and russia now last week on the podcast we did cover a bit of a comparison um a real world comparison between the lumia 930 and the htc1 m9 both of us having played with both devices and uh, comparing what is now what i guess even up to an 18 month old windows phone with a, a latest 2015 Android flagship, and both of them kind of coming out equal, depending on how you score it and how you score value for money. Um, but we, since then, I have actually published the my detailed camera comparison. I know one of the big features of the M9 Rafe was the fact that HTC had abandoned their ultra pixel experiment and gone to a traditional high megapixel camera. And of course, the 930 is one of the pure view flagships with the uh, the Nokia stroke, I guess, in Microsoft image processing algorithms and the OIS, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I have to say, and if you look at the test samples using your your famous comparator, that the the nine thirty does rather come out on top by quite a margin. But I was just I was trying to say in the in the text that both devices, I think, essentially use the the same sensor or certainly a sister sensor from the same company, Toshiba. Um, but it just shows to sh- goes to show that taking really good photographs is a lot more than just having a, a good sensor. You've got to have good optics. You've got to, in this case, have optical image stabilization. You've got to have good image processing algorithms, in this case, incorporating actual oversampling and reducing noise and producing purer images that way. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the software layer of the camera application and what you can actually do with it. So, But just coming back to the camera application in a minute, let's just concentrate on the raw quality. Would you agree that the 930, despite having a similar sensor, actually produces significantly better images? Uh, yeah, it certainly appears that way in the, the test images that you've done. I mean, I, I'd probably say it's worth bearing in mind with any of these kind of comparisons, what we are tending to do is look down at a relatively low level of detail, not quite pixel level, but certainly close to it in a lot of the direct comparisons. And if you look at the kind of the zoomed out shots, if you will, or as I always like to think about it, the kind of the, what we'd see in a six by four print, actually you have a great deal of difficulty seeing massive amounts of differences. You will see certainly... Um, that one is contrasted in some way to the other, but saying one is better is harder. But it's when you go into this extra level of detail, you, you for example, you're seeing, I think, better colour accuracy um, generally from the uh, Lumia 930. The HTC often can produce a sort of a more pleasing result. But um, I think if you look at, you know, some of the, particularly on the macro and the low light shots, the 930 seems to be performing better. That doesn't really surprise me, given that the the 930 does have this optical image stabilization. Um, But I actually think in some cases, the M9 produces more pleasing to the eye colors. Uh, That's going to be somewhat subjective because it sort of depends what you're taking a picture of. Um, But yes, overall, I don't think there's really any doubt in my mind that the the 930 wins this particular battle. I don't think the M9 should be ashamed about that because we've, as we've sort of talked about in the past, actually the M9, um, you know, has a change in camera. HTC is doing something different. And the 930, you know, has actually had 
Microsoft developing it for quite a while first with the 1520 and then obviously with the 930. So there's kind of several software updates along the line from its kind of original performance. And I suspect that HTC will be able to do something similar with the M9 once they kind of get used to using that camera module, if you will. I mean, more to the point, I think also the 930's done really well in comparison against other phones when we've tested it and is we rate it as one of the best uh, camera phones on the market so the fact that the m9 gets quite close you know it is really you know to its to its very real credit um but i think looking at this evidence in particular you don't you know you do have to take a, a few marks off the htc device and honestly i think an awful lot of that comes down to the absence of ois um the superior optics uh potentially from the you know the zeiss lenses um and then it, you know it comes down to that sort of really subjective um software thing which is a bit of a black box because we can't always know what's coming out in terms of raw from the sensor or from the camera stack and then you're going into the processing into the software but um, i mean it, it surprised me in some ways that um, there are some obvious differences but equally well i then have to take a step back and go okay look at the images as they come out at kind of let's say the six by four size and you sort of go it still amazes me that honestly that any camera phone can produce photos this good in such a, a large range of conditions yeah yeah it does raise a question actually rafe i mean this is i was kind of not comparing like with like in the i was using the full resolution versions of the 930s images and of course most lumia 930 owners and indeed 1520 and lumia icon and 1020 owners etc they're actually seeing the five megapixel pure view over sampled versions which are purer and lower noise but they're ostensibly lower resolution and i guess the question which you might be able to have a stab at is the man in the street, is he getting used to 8 megapixel and 13 megapixel and now 16 and 20 megapixel images? Is he going to um, see a 5 megapixel image produced by a phone in 2015, however pure, and think, well, hang on a minute, this isn't very high resolution. I, wa- I want more. Do you think, do you think uh, Microsoft, uh, for their next flagship, should abandon this oversampling and just go for a really high quality you know, 13 megapixel unit? Are they barking up the wrong tree or should they go down that direction? It's a good question because actually this applies just as much to HTC and their ultra pixel thing in a way. Um, I actually don't think most people know what resolution the camera shots come out (laughs) of. I think they look at the specifications and they go, okay, that's a 20 megapixel camera. That's fine as far as I'm concerned. And they might be a bit surprised to know that most of the images they they shoot on a Lumia phone is actually oversampled and will actually come out as five megapixel images. to, to kind of answer your question, I actually think uh, what they should probably consider doing is maybe stepping up to eight megapixels at some point, but only when the kind of the technology, the sensors uh, support that as being the right thing to do in terms of maximizing quality. Honestly, you know, I think the number of people that will take a picture off their phone and suddenly go, oh, this is only, you know, 3000 by 2000 or whatever the resolution happens to be uh and you know an even smaller sample will probably be cropping or noticing the fact that it's not high resolution um and for those that do notice that kind of thing there is of course a dual capture mode and there's various options for them to go down that route uh i mean this is why i actually think it's a shame that HTC abandoned the ultra pixeling, which is why I kind of have a sneaking suspicion they'll try and come back to it via some method in the future. Their problem, of course, was that it was five megapixels or nothing. Uh, I think the Microsoft solution with the kind of the dual capture and the, or the oversampling is just more elegant. And actually, um, it achieves many of the benefits of the ultra pixel without actually kind of sacrificing that specification, which is obviously still a big deal in the marketing world because 
uh, despite us saying it hundreds of times, and indeed everybody else, you know, it's not about the megapixel race. Still, it's very easy to go into a shop and just see that as one of the three <laughs> points written next to the phone or in any yeah. review. And I think even people who are sort of quite you know technically savvy don't necessarily appreciate that the you know, the level of technical knowledge. And I don't mean this to be nasty, but people just don't really realise. Or even if they do, it's kind of it's not to the level of understanding that they really, really care about it. And if I'm honest, most people probably don't care about uh, an exact camera comparison between something like the M9 and the 930 or an iPhone 6 or whatever <laughs> it is. I think now they're all so good that most people are going to go, yeah, actually, most of the time I can shoot it and get a fantastic result. I think where they might notice is in things like the camera software, how easy it is to use. And then if you do have an exceptional camera phone, if you then switch to something that isn't as good, and I think particularly it's actually not around... Um, you know, overall performance. It's about how forgiving it is in a whole range of scenarios. So, for example, if you've got a, a Lumia device, you'll probably be really appreciative of the quality of low light photos. It's one of the ones which is more of an edge case. It's harder to get right. You switch back to something else, and you're probably really going to notice it equally well if you've got an iPhone and you switch to a, another device. I think you'll probably notice the performance as in you know how quickly does it take a picture how quickly does it go from shot to shot and certainly that used to be uh, and still is for some devices a weakness of the Lumia range kind of dead and fixed some of those problems and certainly at the upper end it's much better than it used to be but you know if you went to a mid-tier device for example that's where you can sometimes see a lag uh, and, you know, and there are plenty of devices out there that kind of have some unique camera thing I mean the predecessor to the M9 had the kind of the duo camera on it which let you do some effects for most of us that seems like a bit of a gimmick but i guess there were probably people out there who, who thought it was a really great idea um and equally well you know the the new m9 in its camera software has a whole bunch of special effects and if you really like those that'll be the thing thing that you miss but i, I don't actually think you know for the man on the street as you describe him will get that bothered over the exact size of the resolution in terms of the output they'll care about what's written on the outside of the phone or on the spec sheet and they won't really care about performance what they'll care about is when they miss a photo that they think they would have otherwise captured on another phone whether they would or not yeah. is probably <laughs> beside the point and actually that's one of the things that apple and microsoft have done very well they've given themselves a reputation of having great camera phones and so therefore you know, people there's almost a, you know, a perception bias people think that these uh, phones produce better photos so they when they're done you know, when you do a test they will say oh yes i think think that's better because it was produced by a, a lumia or an iphone uh, if you do some blind testing the results are always quite surprising actually uh, quite often the lumia devices come out better or rated better um, because you know people uh, like the uh, the color choices that have been made uh, but sometimes the samsung devices will actually produce the kind of the best results in blind tests because people like the the saturation on the color so it does actually depend on what you've taken a picture of and what your you know group of blind test people are um uh, what the make makeup of that i should say yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right i think the the man in the street really hasn't got a clue uh, other than the, the initial um impact of seeing on the, on the spec sheet and in the phone shop 20 megapixels apart from that he has absolutely not a clue what's happening with the bits and bytes and in truth we, we actually have to dig down into specialist utilities on windows phone to try and deep look at the exif data to find out what resolution photos actually end up at and and it's, it's also fair to say that uh, windows phone still has the quote limitation or whether it's a clever feature that when you email out 
a photo, and that's the most common way of sharing for me. I certainly, I take photos at an event with family, and after the, on the way home, perhaps on the train, I then email out the best photos to the various family members, and those emails automatically get downsampled to about a mega, one megapixel by Windows Phone, and there is no way to turn that off, even today in 2015, and yet no one's ever complained. They get the photo, it more or less fills their phone screen or their tablet, and they're absolutely happy with a one megapixel photo. So maybe the five megapixel oversampled route with, with the 20 megapixel on the sticker is absolutely the best compromise. <laughs> well, I would say I would like a setting to be able to change that on, on the email yeah. side of things, although I've now learned to just use uh, OneDrive and get my photos that way. And actually, I have to say that is more convenient, works all automatically. And as you say, people never complain when they get uh, photos from me. And actually, of course, a lot of email systems are still set up to sort of reject attachments over a certain size and that can be 5 10 or 20 megabytes sometimes more depending on the system so it, it actually makes a lot of sense because you get far more complaints if people try to email a photo and it didn't work especially as uh, all the studies show that typically people actually attach two or three photos at a time not just one uh, but actually i want to turn the question around we've said that the man on the street doesn't really notice you know when you're switching between devices steve do you really notice the the difference in camera performance data and i'm talking about high-end devices here rather than switching down to the mid-tier but i guess we could include something like the 830 or the 735 in this which you know have good cameras do you i mean is it a big criteria for you now i mean you always used to be kind of person that carried around the 808 or or the 1020 because that extra camera performance made a difference to you thinking about you know things like the m9 or the iphone 6 or the 930 is there a big enough difference at the hand to have that be a big impact on which device you carry around or is it some other element of imaging be it video or the software that's uh, you know making that decision for you well it's a very a timely question because if you'd asked me that three months ago i would have said look the reason i carry the 1020 the reason i carried the 808 for it was because of the, the pr- proper flash so i call it xenon flash which means you can actually take photographs in low light and you freeze people but but i absolutely accept and i think i'm coming around to the fact that we now have so much processor power and so much resolution in our video that if it's a fast-moving event, say it's a kid blowing out a candle, it, it was a real pain before to try and catch the exact moment when the, they were pursing their lips and blowing out the candle. So the xenon flash fired. Did you get the moment? Did you, oh, I just missed it. Oh, and, and it's two or three seconds to recharge the flash, and then it's too late. Whereas you really can now, with um, certainly on the Android flagships and the, um, the iPhone can do it as well over the last year or so. And now with Lumia Camera 5, we can do it on the 930 and the 1520 as well just literally shoot 4k video of that event that child blowing out a birthday candle and it might be only five seconds of video but later on using um, the clever software you can then play eight megapixel stills now it's not perfect because each frame um, assuming you can get down to the frame level which you can with lumia moments very very cleverly um, each frame is still uh, you know one twenty fourth per second so you, you've still got some movement if the person's moving a lot or uh, you're shaking the camera around or the OS is in, isn't quite working. You can still get some blur. So not every frame is perfect. But I actually found a greater hit rate using that technique to get good photographs than using my beloved Xenon Flash. So I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but but there are <laughs> the days of Xenon, maybe they are numbered because we simply come, come at the problem with so many megapixels, so high a resolution video and so much processor power. And, and I think you were one of the people who predicted this a couple of years ago that 
computational photography would overcome even the lack of a zin and flash. So I think, I think I'm coming down on the fact that, uh, I, yes, I can't really tell the difference. I could move from Android to Windows Phone, probably to iPhone, as long as I was using a flagship with a, with a 4K video capture. To be able to pluck those um, 8 megapixel stills out on each of these platforms um, it doesn't actually make that much difference. Um, and as I say, for land, landscape photos and good light, then you've got plenty of light to play with anyway. So, yes, I've been switching quite happily between two or three different devices and uh, taking just as good photos. Wow, I'm, I'm pretty sure some Xenon <laughs> tree somewhere just <laughs> died a death and we'd clap our hands or something. Uh, what's also very interesting about that is pretty much for all of that you were talking about the actual scenario of capturing a particular moment or a point in time it wasn't actually about the quality of the photo which i i, I can assume you just assume will be good enough regardless of which device yeah. you're you're carrying and yes there are small differences as our our comparisons also showed but what was just as interesting is that you're you know, talking about uh, maybe not needing xenon is actually the fact that it wasn't even about the performance there it was far more about the kind of the software enabling you to do certain things and actually this is arguably where i think microsoft still has an advantage because um you know the lumia software does allow you to do that 4k extracting specific frame very easily it's very user-friendly and i think that extends into the camera as well uh, looking at the kind of android world you know the updates with lollipop in terms of being able to have those very fine camera controls something that uh, certainly on the high end and the mid-tier devices lumia devices and android for world has moved that onwards a lot um and i think actually those controls and that whole camera software owes a, a lot to nokia camera and the team that developed that and it, in some ways we saw the same thing on the iphone with ios 8 um but Microsoft has maybe arguably stepped ahead by having these, uh, you know, Lumia Moment and some of the other ancillary tools. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with the next flagship, because that's more the kind of computational photography or the computational image processing that, you know, there is clearly still a lot of room to do things there. And, you know, you go back to things like Cinemagraph with its uh, frame alignment technology, you know, potentially you could do more with that. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes next. But I do think it's absolutely fascinating that on the flagship, despite all the comparisons we do comparing imaging, and of course, there's still going to be for some people a desire to get the best possible camera. Um, for someone as picky as Steve to not really have that much of a, a fuss between the hind, I think is really notable. I wonder if that would be different, Steve, if you were, you know, capturing in a greater range of scenarios perhaps ones that were more challenging and in one sense that xenon case that you talk about is the one that is most prevalent for you but for for others you know if it's uh, maybe low light is one of those ones we can talk about although i think actually that's become nearly universal but there must be others where it get gets trickier and i think we can probably all still think of situations where there's a problem i, I guess the ois capture maybe with fast moving things or yeah. uh, you know people not being very good at taking pictures is is one of those <laughs> ones where there is still a big hardware difference between devices and certainly i would opt for a device that had ois wherever possible yes and it's, it's very telling actually that uh, many of Microsoft stroke Nokia's competitors over the last year or so have introduced OIS into their flagships. Think of the Galaxy Note 4, think of the Galaxy S6, think of the iPhone 6 Plus, all now with OIS. And it's rather strange, really, that HTC, having put a basic form of OIS in their M7 two years ago, kind of matching the, the first uh, Nokia's to have it, and then HTC when the then went and abandoned it because they went off down a blind alley. And with the M9, despite putting in a traditional sensor, they haven't reintroduced OIS. And as you say, the, my test shots, I think I was kind of being kind of kind the M9 in, in the, the low light shot indoors and also the night shot. I was taking it with all the skill in my 
in my body in terms of bracing myself, holding the device in two hands, taking a deep breath, not breathing while taking the shot. I really was trying to take a very steady shot. Now, the 930, I think, would have taken a, with the OAS, would have taken a pretty stable shot, even if I'd just been Joe Bloggs, just popping it out of my pocket and mashing the button, whereas the M9 would have produced a blurred mess. And I think you're absolutely right. I think OIS really is a, the lack of it is a showstopper for me in 2015, I think. Um, whether or not you're actually intending to take many evening and night shots, the very fact that it's there, I mean, that as soon as the light levels go down, you can take a photograph without sunset or that, that um, flower at dusk or the, or the person indoors who's posing nicely. Um, and you absolutely know that it's your own camera shake is not going to be a problem, whereas I think it is for almost any device under about, well, under about 250, 300 pounds, with the Lumia 830 perhaps being the lowest price OIS device i can think of indeed uh, and there we go i've managed to make steve uh, change his, <laughs> his mind a little bit uh, there, there's also a point worth making here steve isn't there that all ois is not the same and there are different implementations of it and at the moment i think the microsoft one is arguably still the most superior in terms of you have to look at things like the response rate which isn't something you ever see in the specifications and you can only kind of do it by gut feel um and it depends on how many axes it operates and things like that i mean you refer to the m7 having kind of a simple version of it yeah it's two axis yeah exactly and uh, the microsoft devices have actually refined over the years and i think now we're up to about version three on ois it's never talked about in a great level of detail potentially because it's actually quite commercially sensitive in terms of what they're doing uh, but it has got better in each successive iteration and i would expect that to happen again with the new camera module that will arrive with the new flagship and you know just as ois would was introduced it's quite possible we'll see some other technology and you know, we saw bsi on sensors a while back it's absolutely possible that there's a uh, new technology coming down the road you know, there are various things um, in terms of sensors that allow greater gathering of light for example having uh, as i understand it the sensors overlay each other so you can capture kind of more accurate red green blue and, and things like that we won't get into a, a detailed discussion of it here not least because i haven't researched it properly but just to say there is still those hardware developments still to come and so i think there may well still be more acronyms that you have to sort out and look out for when you're buying a camera phone which is great news for us because it means we can start and continue to talk about them and so now that uh, steve said that performance doesn't matter and it's all the same across all the top end there's actually still going to be stuff to look at and there's still room for improvement uh, and i think it we we said this a while but oh good enough but then it's continued to improve and i'm i'm sure the same thing is going to happen again and we'll look back on this in five years time and said oh i can't believe i thought the 930 or the iphone 6 was a decent <laughs> camera phone oh, i just it, it doesn't take these whatever it happens to be um actually it'll be interesting to see how much it does get into you know things like around 3d or actually capturing kind of the real world in a 3d model that you then look at through a vr headset or whatever it happens to be in five ten years time i think there's you know, adding a depth sensor onto phones so you can kind of get a sense of depth from photos and how you then view those all kinds of possibilities and i think Lytro and uh, depth of field uh, those are some of the more intriguing ones i'm not enough of an imaging specialist to kind of really point out where exactly i think it's going but um sort of uh, compare some of the things i've heard about uh, computational photography and say yeah that's that's an area that's going to be interesting certainly that's borne out by the evidence of the last 12 months yeah, and I would say that uh, although the M9 didn't have it, I would expect both HTC and other manufacturers to start 
taking a look at what uh, Microsoft Stroke Nokia have been doing with this oversampling in software, because of course they they're not using the in a custom chip anymore. This is purely done using the fast processors and the the multi cores, and you know, and putting the oversampling into a you know a thread which can be done in the background while the user gets on with the next photograph. And there's no reason whatsoever why the likes of um, Apple and Google and Motorola and HTC can't start doing the same thing. They've got these. Um, HTC in this in their case a 20 megapixel sensor and yet they produce a 20 megapixel image which no one in their right mind actually needs that depth of detail which isn't particularly fantastic if only they they had some kind of um, software which is capable of doing that same oversampling then that that HTC image which looks kind of so-so the details kind of so-so the colors are so-so could be a stunning image if the software was to combine that massive pixels as you say computational photography into something that it's you know to use Nokia's terminology purer and it absolutely could be done and I'm surprised that more manufacturers don't pick up on that yeah indeed I mean HTC do the HDR photos and have done for a long long time kind of combining those those three different sets of photos at different exposure levels um, and kind of Microsoft preempted them or kind of one up them by doing the rich capture where you actually get more control over what is effectively an HDR photo um, and honestly it comes out as a, a much better result there there are some questions around whether Microsoft could kind of improve the optimization of what it you know it generates automatically on that HDR image but you know that's what HTC does Microsoft, by letting you kind of have that slider control that you get with Rich Capture, kind of takes it a step further and, of course, does it all automatically in the sense, well, automatically once you've started Rich Capture mode, uh, which is still a bit of an issue, but I think that's as much around the fact there is a processing cost and there is a space cost to capturing things like that, as we've uh, discussed in previous podcasts. Yeah, I just wanted to, before we bore everyone silly with imaging talk, I wanted to mention the software very briefly that is used because of course you can't as we alluded to earlier there is a user experience in terms of not only grabbing a moment grabbing a photograph but also dealing with it later and uh, I, I have to say that the HTC camera software but driven by that very fast processor and chipset Snapdragon 810 um, it, it is a blindingly fast experience you can you know, can, you can grab photographs as fast as you can just keep the, your finger on that ca- um, capture icon. Um, and in that sense, it, it can capture almost anything. Um, but the, in terms of the software um, stills from video, which I mentioned, this Lumia Moments, I tr- you can do that with the HTC and with other Android smartphones, but they make it much, much harder. I mean, I've got a Galaxy uh, S-series device here, and I tried it on the M9. And in each case, you really have to jump through hoops to get the exact frame you want at the resolution you want, whereas the Lumia Moment software, I mean, it, it's, it seems almost too cartoony and too trite and too easy, but the, it really is that easy. It makes it so easy to get the exact frame you want. I've been really impressed. Um, so did you find the same thing with the M9, just that you couldn't quite get the frame you wanted? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair comment. Um, I, I don't know how many people go down that route, and it'll be interesting if you could ever get some kind of information about how many people are using each of these camera functions, because I suspect an awful lot of people just press the automatic button and, and never worry about rich capture or moments or anything else. But obviously, as people are into our smartphone imaging, we do. And yes, I, I do think that's a, an issue. I mean, I do like the fact that HTC make it very easy to kind of capture short bursts of video, um, kind of actually it's something that the Lumia phones adopted with their kind of the long press on the camera capture button, if you like. Um, and yeah, I think that's actually a fair comment. They, they don't make it so easy to kind of pick out those things. I mean, what you do get is the ability to record a video and capture a still or kind of pull out a still as you're doing it live. And I do like that functionality, which is something that the, uh, the Lumia devices don't do. And it's kind of, I'm recording a video and I'll be able to get something out of it later, but actually I'd quite like to capture a still live as I record that. And I think that's a, a great thing to be able to do. Um, 
I mean, trying to you know give a, a balance view. The other thing I I do like that uh, HTC have done is this um, ability to very easily create custom camera settings, and you can kind of save a set of settings as a kind of a camera mode that you then switch to, just as you you know you have certain modes in which to to put the camera. And um, it, in one sense, is that sort of a way of getting around some of the limitations when it doesn't get things quite right on the processing. Yeah, uh, perhaps that is. Um, I, for example, if you uh, change some of the ISO settings and set up some of the sharpness settings, um, you, I would say actually if you put the sharpness to say um, minus one and the ISO setting to 200, it actually produces better pictures for me than the kind of the the default camera mode. So I've actually solved that, saved that as a, a race camera option. And that then appears as one of the camera modes and you can very easily switch to it using the HTC software. And that's, you know, one of the examples of where HTC have done some customization with their sense software. Um, they're also going to have this kind of ability to download different cameras from their camera store, which is actually linked to the, the Google play store. And for example, uh, they said at the launch, there'll be an ability to have a raw capture mode that's coming later on it's not available yet but that will be downloadable through this kind of camera mode store if you will and that's an interesting experiment i mean it's in some sense it's very similar to the uh, the windows phone lens system but i actually think hcc have managed to integrate it in a slightly better way it's just a little bit easier to switch to if you, if you uh, i think it's probably the same number of taps if you actually count them up it just feels a bit easier uh, but yes yeah, certainly ov- overall i think um that whole imaging flow in the software side of things tends to work better on the Microsoft devices. You have to be a bit careful here because it's it's what you're used to um, in terms of how uh, Windows Phone works, how the camera software works. And it, it's fair to say that um, Nokia and Microsoft have had a consistent story and pattern of way of doing things for quite some time now. And so there is that sense of the familiar, but that's in some ways to their advantage. Whereas, of course, on Android, you switch to different manufacturer, you'll have a slightly different way of doing things, a different way of activating that image editor or whatever it happens to be. And again, that comes back to kind of the advantage of being the only Windows phone manufacturer, which is mainly on the downside, but every now and then actually probably can be seen as a positive. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd give the nod to uh, the Lumia devices on the software side. Um, if you're, especially if you're more of a, a pro or a kind of a gifted amateur photographer, HTC does do some more on the gimmicky side of things. For example, you can have quite a bit of fun swapping heads between different people in an images. That's one of the kind of uh, novelty functions. And there's the ability to, <laughs> add fake rainfall and snow and i, I can hear steve oh, sort of dear. sniggering yeah, in the, yeah there, thank you steve for being proving true to character but actually for people sharing onto social media those kind of things can actually be quite a, a big thing and you know rather than do it through a, a third party piece of software you do it within the kind of the htc photo flow and um so you know htc definitely have an advantage there but i think it very much speaks to the different attitude the two companies take to imaging um and uh, it, it's also true i guess of some of the samsung devices it just feels like uh uh, I don't want to call it grown up or professional because I don't actually think that's fair. I think it's maybe uh, uh, Microsoft takes a more conservative approach to imaging and what people want to do with it, whereas HTC and some of the other Android manufacturers, and I think Apple to an extent, take a, a more more social or sort of more fun side to imaging. Um, I think that's gross oversimplification, but hopefully people can kind of get what yeah. I'm trying to communicate. 
Yeah, we really are going to have to title this podcast The Imaging Special Rave because I've got two more things I want to mention and they both kind of have something to do with imaging and I, I can't get away from it because for two things, uh, firstly, there's been an update to the Vine um, application for Windows Phone, the official first-party Vine, which is a, a sort of six-second uh, video social network. I think it's owned by Twitter now. Um, and uh, it hasn't had an update for a, a couple of years, but there's been an update appeared over the weekend. Uh, we've been trying it and writing it up. It works really, really well. Um, and, of course, that involves the camera, involves taking short videos. Uh, they've now got a, a little wizard to show you how to shoot good vines in terms of breaking your six seconds up into two-second periods, I kid you not. Um, you've now got the ability to shoot a video first. It's more than six seconds, so you've been out and about, and then use that later on within the application and lets you trim trim that down and compress that and get that down to six seconds and re reuse it within the Vine to send your Vine off to your various networks. Plus, there's all sorts of customization stuff to do with your profile and notifications. So a really worthwhile update. If anyone out there has, hasn't been playing with Vine, it's, it's kind of a fun place to hang around. You won't lose a massive amount of time by playing around with it because everything you watch is six seconds max. It's not as if you have to sit there for hours. And I found the application was really quite impressively um, coded and very slick. And, of course, it's completely first party. So for a change rate for one of these major services, we're not relying on some third party tool with the made the first party not having interest. The first party's actually taken the steps to produce the, this client very well themselves. Absolutely. And the, the level of creativity that you'll see on Vine is really quite breathtaking. I actually met someone in Barcelona whose basically full-time job was to create Vines for other people, mainly brands, but also for kind of uh, charities and other organizations. And you know, he showed off some of his work and actually was showing how he put some things together. And a lot of it's kind of that stop animation. But the level of detail that goes into creating some of those scenes, or I should say recreating in some cases, uh, it was a Back to the Future example. Um, I was shown for, um, it, just amazing. And actually, it's really great to have this kind of really premium experience of Vine on, on Windows Phone, I think particularly being able to use stuff that you've already uh, captured on video. That's obviously a big plus point because that's honestly how most people do it. Um, while I think there are people who are creating Vines very carefully, bit by bit within the application, there are some people who capture something who just want to share it quickly up that way. And so it's sort of, I guess, the different scenarios. But yeah, um, great to see this. And uh, uh, maybe, we, maybe we can have some other updates. I mean, there is uh, talk of hyperlapse uh, from Instagram being on the way and actually hyperlapse from uh, Microsoft as well, which is a, a way of kind of doing uh, time-lapse videos, but really smoothly. So we'll keep an eye on that and let you know when they're available. So what was, yeah. what was your other imaging software, Steve? Well, just to mention Storyteller, which had got an update relatively recently, and I, I hadn't kind of been keeping track of just what these updates have been pulling in. But uh, um, in the last two or three months, it's got to the stage now where, as I commented in an editorial stroke tutorial today on the site, as I record this on the Wednesday, where I'm recommending that people ditch photos, the bog standard Windows phone photos we've all been using for three years, and switch over to Storyteller because photos is getting so far behind in terms of what it does, doesn't realize about you know, things like living images and rich capture. These all just go straight over a photo's head and it can't deal with them. Whereas Storyteller is completely integrated into the workflow of these, this advanced imaging and effects and editing. And you have the extra things to do with uh, location that it can do 
from day one. That that's all still there. Um, plus, you can now select which folders you want it to show and not show. And you can also expect now one of the new features in the last couple of months. You don't have to start with your home screen and storyteller showing these. Uh, yeah, what, they, what they Microsoft call clusters of photographs. You could just have it show a bog standard timeline. These are your latest 50 photographs. You can just swipe up and down just as you did in photos. So I, I think with the latest updates, I'm saying that's it. I recommend everyone switches across to Storyteller, and uh, I think most people will be much happier, Rafe. Okay, well, I'm going to have to give Storyteller a go as my uh, default application, maybe pin it to my start screen and uh, see about exploring it a little bit more. But uh, I've used it in the past and sort of enjoyed it. It had a few performance issues loading on the number of uh, photos I actually had in my library, and I have to see whether it's fixed those, especially on the uh, Snapdragon 400 devices. Uh There's a couple of uh, good software recommendations. Just talk about one myself, and that's actually that the uh, Fitbit application has recently been updated, and it now has uh, support for what Fitbit call mobile run. That's basically using the GPS sensor on your phone to record and track the route of your run. You know, it's it's nothing particularly unique. There are plenty of other exercise tracking apps out there that do that. But for those that have a Fitbit, it will be great to have that built into the application. There's also the ability to use uh, Sensor Core, which is the kind of built-in on a lot of the Lumia devices to do that step tracking, should you so wish. And actually, it's, I believe it's also got support for the new Fitbit bike functionality, which is uh, on the uh, Surge, which is one of the hardware variants that Fitbit does. So, um, Actually, it's just the Fitbit application. I've always thought it's one of the best implementations on Windows Phone, and this update certainly keeps things up to date when you're comparing against Android and iOS. So good to see some of these high-profile apps actually getting updates, and I guess in a similar vein, something like Shazam has also recently been updated with some uh, great integration into the Xbox music system, which if you live in the the Windows, the Microsoft ecosystem, and have an Xbox music subscription, you're going to be very pleased about because you can identify your music and then have it you know, played back using xbox music so uh yeah um some excellent updates we'll, we'll try and talk about those i guess a bit more in the the next podcast we ended up doing a bit of an imaging special despite saying before we recorded this that we'll try and keep things a bit varied but hopefully you've enjoyed <laughs> uh, some of the detail yes and uh, next week we should have lots more on the lumia mm-hmm. 640 and maybe the 640 xl and maybe the microsoft band all of these things are imminently heading into all about windows phone towers and uh Hopefully we can both chat about them, having had some hands-on time tomorrow. But uh, I think we're out of time today, Rafe, so I'll say goodbye. Yes, and uh, goodbye from me as well. I should say that we had some reader questions around here and the relationship with uh, Microsoft. A couple more of those. So we'll try and get to those next week. Apologies for not doing it this time. But as ever, thanks for listening and do send in your comments and questions for next week.